We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'll be there with you in a second. And let me just tell you a little uh, story from the heart of your leaders. We want you reading along. So if you don't have a Bible with you, somewhere underneath the seats around you is a Bible. Grab one of those uh, to join us. Uh, so if you're new to our church, you may not know uh, that a few years ago, uh, a bunch of us did this race called the Tough Mudder. And if you don't know what that is, I can summarize it for you, no problem, in two words. Difficult, gross. That's it. It's an endurance race. It's 10 miles long, 30 obstacles, and almost every one of those obstacles has something to do with mud. And so by the time we got to the end of it, we were gross, and we were tired, and we had one more obstacle in front of us. And I, I'm not making this up. This obstacle was called Happy Ending, and there was nothing happy about it. Uh, let me just walk you through what this is. You start off by jumping into, of course, a pool of nice muddy water, and then you've got to figure out a way to get up this long wall. And when you get to the top, you slide down on the other side into, you guessed it, another pool of muddy water you climb out of and just kind of collapse across the finish line. Sounds like a blast, right? Right. So, um, and you could probably just tell by looking at it that, that there's no way you can get up this thing on your own. You're not tall enough or strong enough, smart enough. The makers of this race will then tell you, duh, that's the point. The Tough Mudder race is a team race. You're not meant to do it on your own. You're meant to rely on strength outside of yourself. And so when we got to the front of this obstacle, you can literally see the finish line around it. And so, uh, man, we were tempted just to walk around it and just get to the finish line. We saw other people doing it, and we would have still gotten the medal and the T-shirt. Uh, but we didn't sign up for this. We didn't do all this training. We didn't pay all this money. Believe it or not, we had to pay money for this fun. Um, we didn't do all that to quit. We wanted to finish well. So rather than walk around it, uh, we said yes to this obstacle. And it was a pretty awesome feeling when we were done. You know, the Bible calls this Christian life a race. It does, and I believe it's a race a lot like this tough mutter race. It's, uh, it requires endurance. It is messy. It is rewarding. And you get to do it with a team of people that you love. But it absolutely has its share of obstacles, right? And every once in a while, we come across an obstacle in our life that feels impossible, Maybe God calls you to stand up and speak for him in the workplace or at school, and that just, you're like, I can't. Or, or maybe he calls you in a deeper place of service here at church you don't feel qualified for. Or, or honestly, maybe it's just something that he's calling you to make. By making the right choice, it leads to a more uncomfortable life. And when those moments come, I think we are tempted to come up with all kinds of excuses to just walk around them. I, I've already accepted Christ. I've got the eternal prize of salvation. I don't have to do this, right? God calls us to say yes to these seemingly impossible challenges. Why? For his glory. God gets glory when we accomplish something big that requires more than our own strength. He gets glory when hard things grow our character and, and make him more like, make us more like him. And he gets glory when our faith leads us to greater dependence on him and to a deeper relationship with him. Uh, this morning, we're going to be studying an encounter between Moses and the Lord that I bet a number of us are familiar with. 
uh, but it's an encounter that forever changed the course of Moses' life because he eventually said yes to God's calling. And so our point this morning is this, for his glory, ditch the excuses and say yes to God's call. Are you excited? Are you ready to jump in? Okay, good, because I am and I'm not stopping. Here we go. Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Our first point to today is to respond to God's call. I first have to be paying attention. I think most of us know the story of Moses, but let's just do a quick recap to find out how we find him here in the desert wandering with a bunch of sheep. You know, Moses uh, was born a Hebrew. He was miraculously saved from death as a child. And he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So he grows up for 40 years in kind of this decadent and lavish lifestyle. All the while, his people, the Hebrew people, are suffering in slavery. And as he grows in maturity, the plight of his people begins to weigh more heavily on him. And one day, out of anger for those injustices, he kills an Egyptian slave master. It's an act that both angers Pharaoh for obvious reasons, but it also angers the Hebrew people who reject him as their leader. And so out of fear for his life and rejection from his people, Moses runs out of Egypt, 300 miles across the desert uh, to Midian. And Exodus 2 tells us that this makes him content. Moses, he's away from the responsibilities of Egypt, the conflict, the drama, the burden of his people, so he is content. He marries, he starts a family, he settles down, and here in Exodus 3, it is now 40 years later, no longer living the lifestyle of the palace of Pharaoh, he's a lowly shepherd. And it's not hard to imagine that if, if Moses ever once thought that he had a role to play in the deliverance of God's people, that he has long since let that go. But I want to tell you something really awesome this morning that is true of God in this passage and is true of us even today. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't know it, God is always working his plan. For 40 years, the Israelites have continued to suffer in slavery and God's getting ready to deliver them. But for these same 40 years, he's been training Moses up to lead them out of Egypt. He's been in the desert, learning the terrain, learning his way around, getting used to the conditions. And here he is at Mount Horeb, or Horeb, later called Mount Sinai. And even though Moses doesn't see it yet, he's going to be putting these 40 years of training to good use. In just a minute, he's going to be leading an entirely different flock of people, the whole Hebrew people, not just sheep, through the same desert, the same terrain, under these same conditions, back to this same mountain where they will worship the Lord. Amen? God is always working. And Moses doesn't see it yet. So here he is, content at Horeb, and God steps in to put his plan into motion. 
You know, one of the commentaries I read said that here in the Sinai Desert, given how super hot, super dry it is, some of the unique vegetation that, that's there, I, I guess it's not that uncommon for something just to burst into flames. So much so that it wasn't just that that caught Moses' attention. Note to self, I'm never using vacation days to go to Mount Sinai. I would not do well. Moses sees the fire, but what really catches his attention is not that it's burning, but that it isn't being burned up. He calls this a great sight, and by this miraculous act, God has grabbed Moses' attention. And see this, church, that it is not until God has his attention, and only then, and that God speaks and calls to Moses. Verse 4, he says, it says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him. And when he speaks, his first words to Moses are words of endearment and encouragement. He says, Moses, Moses, you may have run from Egypt, but you can't run from me. I know you, I've never left you, and I'm here calling not just anyone, I'm calling you specifically. And Moses, still unsure what's happening, not even sure he knows who he's talking to, but with full attention says to God, here I am. And it's equivalent of us saying this morning, I am listening, I am paying attention. So, you know, I think, I think a lot of things are getting back to normal after this pandemic, right? It feels awesome to see some things get back to normal, but some things are forever changed. I read the other day that 50% of the workforce has some sort of work from home arrangement. Some of you might be working from home every day. Maybe you're like me. I go in the office some days, and I am at home some days. I love working from home. I don't have a commute time, so I get to do certain things that I wouldn't normally get to do. I get to set the temperature however I want it. Yay. But even more than that, the thing I love about working from home is sweatpants and pajama pants. Yes. I mean, every day I hate wearing clothes like this. I love it, but there are some things that I don't like about working from home, and one of those is video calls. I hate video calls because they trick me into thinking that I'm actually good at multitasking, and I am not. You know, if I'm in a meeting at work in the building, you know, I, I don't even think about taking my phone with me. Um, but if I'm at home, and I'm getting the least bit bored, and I haven't finished the wordle of the day, you can see how this gets me into trouble. True story. Uh, a few months ago, I was in a meeting with some of the top leaders in our company. We were planning the number one initiative for the year. And I was representing my department, and it was a video call. Um, I had finished Candy Crush for the day, not a temptation. Uh, but I got caught up in a texting string with one of my kids because they were wrestling through something, and I was just trying to help them process that, and then it happened. Chris, you good with all that? And you know, I read somewhere that like somewhere in your subconscious it can collect information. And so for like a hot second of hope, I was like, come on, brain, nothing. And you might be thinking, okay, Chris just fessed up to this. You would be wrong. So true story, here's what I said. Yep, totally, fully on board. Let's go. And then I spent the rest of the meeting trying to figure out what it was that I had just committed my department to. Uh, my lack of attention in that meeting had real consequences. Luckily, I still have my job. But it can work the same way with our spiritual walk, can it? 
If I'm not listening to God, if he doesn't have my full attention, the consequences can be a lot greater. You know, if Moses hadn't been listening, if he had somehow kept his head down, maybe he would have lived the rest of his life content as a shepherd. And he would have missed out on opportunity to bring glory to God by being his spokesperson, to be part of his mission to rescue Israel to a life of greater and more fulfilling purpose. Church, when we don't pay attention to God, we miss opportunity to be on mission for him. Now, I have a feeling if you're here this morning in this humidity, you are all about this mission. We are here to make and grow disciples, amen? And so you don't want to miss those opportunities. So we have to make sure that we are listening to God. How do we pay attention? Okay, so we're not living in the desert. Chances are you're not going to come across a burning bush spontaneously. But maybe you're thinking, Chris, you know, look, I wouldn't have any problem paying attention to God if he showed up as a burning bush in my backyard. Fair. True. But I am here to tell you this morning that we have something way greater than a burning bush. It's this book. It's the Bible that we're all holding in our hands. This is the miracle, church, that God gives us words that we can understand, that gives us everything we want to know about how to live a godly life for his glory. And it's not just a one-time burning bush. It's every time we want it, every time we need it, it is here. And when we prioritize it, when we study and meditate on it, we are allowing him to speak to us. And we have an enemy that absolutely does not want that to happen. And he uses all kinds of weapons. And I believe his most powerful weapon is distraction. We have shorter attention spans these days. That's not just me, right? Uh, social media. Uh, uh, commercials. TikTok, whatever that is. I think that shortens our attention span. It's hard to sit there and focus for a long period of time. And also, I feel like our calendars are just busier. We're agreeing to do things, and we're just filling up our days. And we have to make time for focused listening to God. So I have a challenge for you this morning. I have a challenge for you this week. I want you to plan some time for solitude. Get alone Get free of distraction. Maybe that means going on a walk by yourself without any devices. Maybe it means sitting in a park bench by yourself. Maybe it means locking yourself in a closet, turning off the lights, and blaring worship music in your ears to drown out everything else. Whatever it takes. But be intentional and plan it or it won't happen. Spouses, help each other. I got the kids. Go. I insist. And then prepare your heart ahead of time. Come humble, ready to be taught. And come expectant, ready to hear. And then give the Lord your full attention. Read some scripture. Pray it back to him. And then just be silent and listen. And I promise you, based on my own experience, that if you give that enough focus and enough time, God will speak to you. So to first respond to God's call, we have to be paying attention. So my question is, does God have your full and complete attention this morning? And if not, will you commit to giving that to him this week? 
So Moses is turned to see God has his attention, so let's keep going. Exodus 3, verse 5, this is um, the Lord talking. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Our next point is this, to respond to God's call, I must remember who is calling. And we're about to see God call Moses to get to work, and it's going to push him way out of his comfort zone, and spoiler alert, he ain't going to want to do it. And God knows that. And so he starts right here first, making sure Moses knows exactly who he is. Right here, there are four things that God reveals about himself that he wants Moses to know and he wants us to know too. First, God is holy. Moses is curious, starts to approach this burning bush, but immediately God gives him two commands. Stop. Do not come any closer and take off your sandals. Why give these commands? God says it's because he is standing on holy ground. Now look, we're in the desert. The ground is hot, but it is not holy. It's God's presence in that moment that makes it holy. God is reminding Moses here not only of his supreme authority, but he's starting right away. I am distinct He says, Moses, I am different. I don't work like you. I don't think like you. My ways are higher. And as we start this conversation, you have to remember that. In two physical ways, Moses reacts to that. First, it says in verse 6, when he's starting to figure out who it is that he's talking to, he hides his face out of fear, out of reverence for a holy God. And out of that same reverence, he's required to remove his sandals, which is a symbol of Moses' dirtiness compared to God's pureness. He's holy. Second, we learn that God is faithful. God tells Moses, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Okay, wait a minute. God, that was like a whole other book ago. That was hundreds of years ago. All those people are long gone. Why are we still talking about this? God says, not only am I holy, but I'm also always completely in control, and I will keep my promises. I haven't forgotten the covenant that I still have with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he may have waited to deliver his people for his own reasons, but he will deliver them because he said he would. God is faithful. God is holy. And third, God is personal. Love this. We see that God is personal in two ways in this passage. First, God tells Moses, not only has he not forgotten his people in Egypt, but he has been close to them. Look at the words he uses in verse 7. He says, he has seen the afflictions of my people. 
They are mine, that he knows their sufferings, that he sees them and hears them. Look, we don't serve a God that, that asks us to walk through hard things and then's like peace out and disappears. No, God is not distant. He is ever present with us. Second, as he identifies himself to Moses, he mentions not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he says, Moses, I'm the God of your father too. He's reminding Moses again, I know you, Moses. I know your name. I know your family. I know where you are because I'm personal. He is holy, faithful, and personal. And finally, God is powerful. In verse 8, he tells Moses, I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians. Before he even calls Moses, we haven't even gotten there yet. God's making it completely and fully clear right here that he's the one doing the delivering. He's the one that's acting in his own power. And the awesome thing is, he's just going to give Moses a chance to be part of it. Right here at the start of this key moment in Moses' life, God wants him to know with crystal clarity, do you know who it is that is calling you? Because if you do, then you must know, I will do it. God is powerful. And so I have, a, I have a Facebook account, and most people in this room do. I don't check it nearly as much as I used to, but I still love Facebook because I have lots of friends and family in Georgia mostly, but um, I get to follow up with them, see how my nieces are growing up. It's awesome. Uh, but Facebook has this thing called friend requests. And uh, every once in a while, maybe more as I get older, I get these friend requests and I'm like, who is this? And how am I supposed to know them? Is that just me? Okay. Okay. All right. And maybe it's somebody I went to high school, but look, you know, uh, that was like 30 years ago. And I don't know how, maybe the Facebook rules are, look, we shared a room or a building for two years 30 years ago, so we got to be friends. Okay, great. Maybe sometimes it's like a relative that I didn't know I had. And no judgment, maybe some of y'all are just like, okay, accept, we're friends. I don't. Uh, before I know what to do with them, I have to know exactly who this person is and, and how I'm supposed to know them. So I go searching. Stalking, some may say, whatever. Research, yes. And uh, true story, there are many times, I'm like, my last ditch effort is to call my grandmother, and I'm like, Granny, who, who is this Lisa character? Am I supposed to know her? And my grandmother says, oh, Chris, this is true. Oh, Chris, you know Lisa's the daughter of your third cousin, Debbie, from South Carolina. And that doesn't help at all. Because I don't know Debbie, and I didn't even know I had friends in South Carolina. But because it's my grandmother, I'm like, okay, accept. But the thing is, is, I have to know who it is that's calling me. And when God calls Moses here at the burning bush, Moses needs to know who exactly is calling him. And why does it matter? Why does it matter who's calling us? Here's why. Because the purpose in and response to our calling is driven by who it is that is asking. I mean, think about, doesn't that work with us? If Pastor Micah asked me to do something one Sunday and a brand new person off the streets asked me to do the same thing, I'm way more likely to do it for Micah. Why? Because I know him. I know his track record. And I probably know his heart behind why he's asking. There are all kinds of things that the Lord will call us to do, is calling us to do even this morning that will make us uncomfortable and fearful and anxious. 
But we have to remind ourselves of the character of he who calls us. Look back at that list. Who is calling you? He is holy, he is faithful, he is personal, and he is powerful. And God never changes. The same God that is meeting with Moses is the same God that's calling you even today. And so I have a question for you. Simply, do you know who it is that is calling you? Do you know that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do you know he is the God that also knows you by name? Listen, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord. Praise the Lord, we're glad that you're here. And you've got to know on behalf of our church, our heart is for you to know him. And we all make mistakes, the Bible calls that sin, and that separates us forever from a holy God. But this perfect holy God is also perfectly loving. Out of his great love for us, he sends his son Jesus Christ down to earth, lives a perfect life, dies a death on the cross where he pays the punishment for our sin, which restores a way forever back to the Lord to be in relationship with him. And so maybe God's first call, well, no, for sure, some of you have already passed through this, but God's first calling on your life is to simply repent, accept that truth, and believe And if that's you this morning, let us rejoice with you. Come talk to us afterwards. So here's where we are. Moses is paying attention, and he's been reminded who exactly God is. So let's jump back in and see God's calling. Exodus 3, verse 10. God says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. Our last point is this, to follow God's call. I have to ditch my excuses. God's actual calling of Moses is to lead the deliverance of these people out of Egypt. And I think it's easy for us to read that and go, okay, sure, uh, but let's put ourselves in Moses' shoes for a second. God is calling this simple, solitary shepherd with a contented life for the past 40 years to go back to Egypt, face off with the greatest king on the planet, by the way, who is also likely his adopted stepbrother, uh, lead Pharaoh's entire workforce of a million people, oh, by the way, who are the same people who rejected you just 40 years ago, into this land long promised by God, oh, by the way, that is occupied by a lot of other people. Yay! Like, seriously, I wonder how we would react to this. Man, I am so glad that God puts stories like Moses in the Bible because I can relate to this. Moses' immediate response to God in verse 11 is, seriously? It's my translation. I don't know what you guys have. It's a gut reaction to the enormous gap he feels between his own ability and the hugeness of the task ahead of him. He says, who am I that I should do this? God, you just said you were going to be the one to do this. You don't, you're, not, you're asking me? Surely you don't mean that I can't save them. By the way, I tried this not too long ago. It didn't go very well. And our loving God and patient God sees that and gives him two responses. First, he says, but I will be with you. Forty years ago, you tried to do that on your own power. It didn't work out. Uh, But this time, you're not doing this on your own. You have me. And he says, not only will I be with you, but I have sent you. 
God says, remember who I am. If I am with you, who can be against you? I will surely do it, and you'll be back here at this same mountain when it's done. And for some of us, that might be enough. All right, Lord, let me just go pack. And we're off. Let's do this thing. Not Moses. Not Moses. Over the course of Exodus 3 and 4, Moses is going to offer not one, not two, but four more excuses to get out of this calling. And I don't have time this morning to dig into all that and God's responses, but I do want to hit some of the highlights because I think we can relate to a lot of these excuses even this morning. So here we go, the five excuses of Moses. The first excuse was, Lord, I'm not worthy. We already covered that. He says, who am I that I should do this? Number two, Lord, no one will listen to me. In Exodus 3.13, Moses fears that when he approaches the elders of Israel, they won't even listen to him. Remember, God, I tried this. It didn't work. They rejected me. They're going to question my authority. Okay, Moses, sure. Who did you say is sending you again? What's his name? They won't listen. Third, Third, Lord, they will not believe me. Listen, God, in Exodus 4.1, he says, not only do I not believe I can't, I can't do it, but the Hebrew people won't believe me either. Sure, Moses, a burning bush, you say, that talked to you. It's been a while. You've been out by yourself with a bunch of sheep. Okay. They won't believe me. Fourth, Lord, I don't have the talent. In Exodus 4.10, Moses then turns to his own skills. You're asking me to be the spokesperson? Have you even heard me preach or speak? Look, this feels strange to me because in the book of Acts, when when Stephen's talking to the Hebrew crowd about the history of the people, he says of Moses, before he leaves Egypt for the first time, he says Moses was mighty in words. So I don't know if Moses is just making this up to get out of it, or maybe he's out of practice because he's been talking to sheep for 40 years. I don't know. But either way, he's saying, I'm inadequate. God, you must know I won't do this well. Four excuses, all surface-level excuses, and God patiently answers every one of them. And then in Exodus 4.13, we come to excuse five, and what I believe is the root of all the prior excuses. 4.13, he says, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Number five, Lord, I don't want to. And this is what finally angers God. Because Moses is viewing God's call in his life in light of his own circumstances and his own feelings, not in who God is. Remember, Moses, had, he'd run. He had grown content. He was, un, he was comfortable. This is a lot of change to take on in one conversation. But even with this, God will not relent. Oh, no, Moses, you're still doing this because I have more for you. So out of excuses, Moses is off to Egypt, stepping into God's calling. And here's the thing. God doesn't stop calling people in the Old Testament or even the New Testament. If we are paying attention to God, if we are reminding ourselves of who he is, he is still calling us today, and he is still patiently dealing with our excuses. I want to share with you a story from someone in our own church 
and how he wrestled through God's calling to serve in a deeper way. Take a look at this video. My name is Rick Presley. I'm a simulation lead at Harvest, which is the group that is the parking crew, the greeting crew, and the ushers, and hospitality. I heard God's call to lead in those areas um, kind of early on uh, when we were in core group. Um, we were launching and getting planning and ready for launch. And uh, one of the areas the leadership asked me to work in is the assimilation team. Um, at first, I didn't know it was a leadership role. I really thought it was just, you know, helping organizing and get it together. I had my ideas about parking and how to greet at a door, those kinds of things. And I did a little bit of that early on in the core group as people were coming in and newer people were coming in. And I would greet them at the door. And so it kind of became natural and I didn't think too much of it. And then as we were going through the planning stages, it started realizing that this was actually a leadership role and that uh, this was going to require a much bigger commitment than I had thought. And um, I'm really not a commitment guy. I tend to shy away from commitments. I don't do well to honor commitments, or I used to not in my past. And um, so that was just one of those things I was really apprehensive about doing it. I really didn't think I was qualified to be a leader. I didn't think that um, uh, that was necessarily my gifts and my abilities. Some of the other apprehensives I had were um, excuses that I was giving myself was uh, that, uh, you know, you never know who you're going to meet. You might meet somebody you've met in the past. And uh, <sighs> sometimes those past uh, decisions can come back to haunt you. And that was one of my fears, actually. Uh, about taking that little role. And it wasn't so much uh, a detriment to myself, but I was worried about the group that I was working with and uh, expressing my honesty of where I've been and who I've been and those kinds of things. As uh, I just kind of yielded and uh, came to a better understanding of what those roles were, um, I was able to kind of get more into it and learn about it. I was given some great material and that helped me understand what um, a simulation was and how important that was and not only launching a church but just in church community and church life. And um, so uh, I was able to really uh, grasp that. You know, some of the blessings that I've seen through that were the uh, <laughs> My mind is rushed right now of all the people that I have seen in these last five years that have come in through these doors and worshiped with us and the lives that have changed in that time frame. And those people that uh, I probably maybe not ever really had connections with. And I was able to... Um, meet new connections and new people. Some of the blessings that I've seen that have been in the church itself are 
Um, people that have told me that because of the welcome feeling that they have here, that um, they feel welcomed right away and they feel like that they get connected uh, pretty quickly and with Harvest. And we have a very welcoming church that's it's almost natural. And the people that are here and the people that are uh, uh, forming, uh, performing the functions of welcoming and greeting and um, it's just an amazing blessing to watch not only myself see this happen, but those that get to take part in it. Because every time we serve at church, we are serving our God, right? And He blesses us for that. And those blessings aren't monetary. Those blessings are um, happiness and joy and watching people come into the kingdom and people grow in the kingdom. And um, those are the blessings that... Um, I see not only in myself, but also in the church. If God asked me to take on new roles, I would be less apprehensive now to just say no right up front. Now I, I think I'd be more likely to say yes and just see where God's leading. I think that one of the things that I have to keep reminding myself is that God does not call qualified people, right? He qualifies people that he calls. And uh, if we were able to do it on our own, then he wouldn't need to call us, right? So um, uh, a lot of times you just have to get out of your comfort zone, and it's a great blessing to be outside of your comfort zone in the Christian life. Shout out to not only Rick, but Nathaniel, who helped put that together. I don't have that talent. <laughs> um, but I think most of us know Rick and love him and the impact that he's had on this church. Praise the Lord that he moved past those excuses. Maybe you felt God calling you to take a bigger step in your walk with him too. But you're offering all kinds of excuses still to him. You want me to do what? No way. That's too hard. Oh, why aren't you looking at this guy over here? Call him. He's got a proven track record. Look at his talent. I mean, I, you know my past, right? Surely you don't think that I will be taken as a credible church leader. I'm not ready. Lord, I can't, I can't do this. I don't know your word well enough. <coughs> or maybe you are listening, but you're telling God, I'm too busy. I don't know how I'm going to fit all this into what I already have. And listen, out of love for everybody in this room, no, no, no. Do we really think God will buy our excuses? They are self-centered. They are not God-centered. I know we're all at different places. I don't know exactly your circumstances, but our excuse lack faith in who God is. When we offer those excuses to God, just like the designers of that Tough mutter race, God says back to us, duh, of course you can't do this on your own. That's the point. If you aren't saying yes in a way that requires God to fill that gap between what you're capable of and what he's calling you to do, 
you're playing it safe. And God isn't calling us to play it safe, church, because he has more for you. So what excuses do you have this morning, and how do you think God will answer you? For his glory, ditch the excuses and say yes to God's call. I have to say this, I think most of us in this room serve the Lord in one way or another. Maybe you're already on a harvest serving team, or two, or three. You're leading your family where you're, you're preaching the good news to your neighbor. You're giving of your time and your treasure, and that's awesome. That's what makes this church so strong. But I believe for some of us, God is calling us farther. What does that look like for you? What feels impossible right now? Maybe he's calling you just to step up and serve somewhere, anywhere that there is need. And I want to tell you this morning, we have real needs in our church right now. I need somebody to step up and be our facilities lead on Sunday mornings. Uh, we need people on the safety team. We need people out there cutting the grass every week. Uh, we need more people on, uh, hold on, our AV team. I had it right. On our AV team back in the back. And I believe every one of those positions can bring God glory because it allows us to preach the gospel each and every week. So come see me. Come see Elise after church. What about this? As our church grows, we need more leaders. And that's intimidating. And maybe God's calling you to do that, to step into small group leadership, to step into another leadership role like students' ministries. Whatever it is, he's calling you to step out of your comfort zone. And if we step into that calling, dependent on him alone, believing that God is 100% faithful and 100% powerful to accomplish anything through us, then we will accomplish our purpose of bringing him more and more glory. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you this morning for who you are. You never fail. You are powerful. You are holy. Lord, you are moving right now, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it. You are working your plan together. And thank you, Lord, for the callings that you put before us that challenge us, that cause us to feel that gap, that bring you more and more glory. And Lord, this morning we confess our fear our doubt, our desire for comfort that might prevent us from taking that step of faith. Lord, I pray this morning that you will help us listen well and remember who you are and to say yes for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray.